Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The green flag flies and Scott McLaughlin takes P1 into tournament nine. Scott McLaughlin has Pottawa Ward right behind him. Colton Herter, the big mover, lots of great smoke behind. The field cleanly drew. Everybody's made it down into turn number 10. Scott McLaughlin, your race leader, into turn number 10. And that bright red and white car, his advantage, about three car lengths over Pottawa Ward. He runs second. Third is Colton Herta. Boy, they are dicing it up for about 10th on back. Guys like Newgarden and Kurt Ward going wheel to wheel. One guard to the inside of Alexander Rossi. He wrestles a spot away. But Mark, it is Scott McLaughlin, the pole sitter, leading them into turn number three. Roman Rojan, a two-car length advantage. This time through turn number nine, but Rojan goes wide. That will open the door for Scott McLaughlin. They go side by side down into turn number ten. Move McLaughlin to second place. It is. It's a drag race down into the corner and Scott McLaughlin has that position. So McLaughlin moves into the second spot and immediately starts to check out on Roman Grosjean. It's a two-car length advantage. Here comes Scott McLaughlin, a tear off off the arrow screen. Front wing change of one turn. We wait on the fuel at 7.2 seconds. Scott McLaughlin rejoins. It's going to be tight, but it looks like Kyle Kirkwood's going to sneak by. McLaughlin gets out ahead of Alex Pillow, but he was not able to beat Kyle Kirkwood into turn number three, Mark James. Scott McLaughlin not finished yet. Remember last year, he closed in on Dixon. What a bright future for these two stars. Kyle Kirkwood will lead Scott McLaughlin. Turn 10 for the final time. McLaughlin close it within three car lengths. Now he's got it down to two. Final left-hander of turn number 11. Kyle Kirkwood has to get it perfect here. Kirkwood and McLaughlin out of turn 11 for the final time. He bumps it up to another tenth of a second advantage. The advance auto part checker flag is in the air. Kyle Kirkwood goes to victory lane for the second time. He grabs the big machine Music City Grand Prix after winning earlier this year at Long Beach. Scott McLaughlin finishes second for the second consecutive season. We just needed to stay out front. That was that was the main thing, and uh, that's exactly what we did. We had a fantastic restart. Um, got my tires in. Honda gave us great power on the restart, and they're they're just in the closing lap. I almost got. I, they ran me down, and they could have passed me if, if they were within another half second. I would say. So they did a great job hunting me down. But uh, we we just had such a great day with strategy and and race pace all the way through the entire race, and they, the team really made my job easy. So hats off to them, no doubt. Hello and welcome. This is Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee, a weekly edition of Trackside following the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix, which we just heard highlights from, from NBC and the IndyCar Radio Network. Again, I'm Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee is joining us. He's been on a travel adventure, so we're going to have to play this one a little bit by ear, but we saw a great race. We saw Kyle Kirkwood win again for the second time this season and we saw the championship uh start to take even more of a turn in favor of alex pillow it's brickyard week 
at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So we got a lot of things to talk about there. Uh, we've got NASCAR in town. We've got IndyCar in town. We've got uh, just all kinds of fun on the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So a lot to get to. We got weekly shows this week. We'll have a special guest in studio tomorrow, thanks to contributions from the annual Burger Bash back in May. So we'll talk some about that perhaps, but if not, you'll hear a, an additional voice on the call on Tuesday. And then we get into nightly shows where actually this begins nightly shows tonight and we'll go through the week. So every night, seven o'clock to eight o'clock, followed by Beyond the Bricks, I believe with Jake Query and Mike Thompson. So Kevin, uh, you're in between as as travel goes how was your weekend in nashville it was good i love nashville uh it, it ended up being a longer weekend than planned uh i i often because i enjoy nashville just leisurely come back on monday but i decided this time i have a lot to do this week i'm gonna get back uh on sunday and for the first time i decided to fly i'm, I'm not a huge even though we're in the cars, I don't really enjoy six-hour drives that much. Uh, so for the first time for this event, I decided to fly. And it worked great getting there. It cut some time off. I could get some work done on the Thursday flight. And there were several options to get out with an early race. That that allowed that opportunity with you know an 11.30 local race. Uh, I had a lot of chances to get out and did so, or at least tried to. But many, many delays Uh that would have not allowed me to make my connection. So it's now a Monday flight and it's a Monday night arrival home. So I thought actually I was going to be in Atlanta, but it turns out I'm in Detroit. So that's where the show comes from tonight. But it, it was fun. I did have extra time to go walk the new track layout so we can get into that uh, of where that's going to be next year. And you're right, unfortunately. So fortunately for Alex Pillow, unfortunately for the championship, this was probably the last chance for uh, any realistic champion other than Alex Pillow, which is fine because he's going to be a deserving two-time champion, but it's going to take calamity for him not to win. Yeah, it's 84 points as we head to the final four race of the season, and it's uh, pretty significant, I think, when you look at uh, at this you know pursuit that, that Alex Pillow is on. You know, I I think we should start comparing it to uh, to the Tony Kanaan and Dan Weldon years of 2004 and and 2005 as we start to you know really get some historical perspective on what Alex Pillow is doing because I don't see it. You're right about the point about you know we may not have a championship you know to contend with and and to talk about and and follow. But Alex Pillow is doing some really, really special stuff. Now, the scoring systems from 04 and 05 are are true today. The only real difference in this particular season is that we gave qualifying points to the top 10 qualifiers at Indianapolis. So Alex Pillow picked up six of those. But even if you remove those six points from his total through 13 races, he has more points than Kanan did at this point in 2004, and he has more points than Dan Weldon in 25 and 2005. This is a pretty special uh, collection of of uh, races for Polo. All of his finishes in the top eight. Uh, he has an average finish of 3.25 now, and he just continues to do things that are championship worthy. You know, this is 
this was a race he shouldn't have finished third. I mean, it just it it took fuel saving. Yeah. It took a couple cautions late, but he gets home on a f- pit strategy that early in the race looked like golden. He comes to pit road on lap what fourteen, and it. We bemoan the fact that not everybody else among the leaders came to pit road. Alex does. It looks like a genius move on Chip Ganassi racing. And then, lo and behold, it goes green pretty much the whole rest of the way. And Alex is in trouble uh, from a fuel standpoint in the late stages. But he makes it work, and the race allows him to make it work. And all of a sudden, he's in in a podium position again, and, and it's pretty impressive. And if they don't have those late cautions, I haven't had a chance to watch the broadcast back to to take a look at where he would have dropped to. Polo is not my section, so I wasn't paying super close attention, but it would have been somewhere in the teens, uh, maybe as far back as 15th. That, that's probably too far. My, my first guess thinking during the race was he was going to be around 10th or so. Uh, so, you know, that, that's what leads to this kind of a season is that you're really, really good and you happen to avoid bad luck. Now, I actually don't think, you know, I think Alex's post-race comments were essentially um, it wasn't a, the right strategy call. And I guess technically that could be true, but it did turn out to be the right strategy call. And I understand why they did that, because logic would say you're going to get enough caution somewhere in this race to be able to make up the shortage in fuel savings. Plus, he's really good at it. Uh, so it made sense. And we always kind of look at what's the get home lap and it was, you know, somewhere between 48 and 52. And and later, if you had to finish on the alternate tires like Grosjean did that you wanted to shorten that as much as possible. But I, I fully expected someone to go ahead and come in more like at 48 or maybe even 46, just assuming there would be two or three cautions in the final stint. And they made the stop early. And that was a big dilemma. That first caution that, that came up um you know i think the booth thought that that everybody on the alternate yeah everybody on that alternate strategy kevin drops out here just a second ago but everybody on that alternate strategy looked like um or on alternate uh tires as as you began the race looked like they would want to get off the tires i mean they they had a a, a golden opportunity to do so and didn't take it and i think you know the booth made the comment and i thought it as well you know, there's your chance. There's your there's your caution. Take advantage of it. Uh, roll with it. And they did not. And so that's what I was saying just a minute ago. I think Alex looked like he was in the catbird seat as far as as this race plays out, because, you know, we kind of expected him. Mean, he started eighth. Uh, we kind of expected that, you know, if there's another caution shortly thereafter, uh, that lap 14 you know, caution period, cautions breed cautions. If there's a restart and then all of a sudden there's, there's a, you know, carnage in one of the corners, probably turn four, maybe back on the backstretch on nine, that there's going to be another caution. And then everybody else is going to come to pit road for tires. And Alex would have already made his stop. So he should be cycles to the front. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, getting off those tires. So it, it really looks like a good strategy, even though, you know, it it didn't work out that way because it went green for so long. We remember we had eight and a half cautions in each of the first two races, so it really did seem to matter or seem to indicate that we'd have cautions in this race. We really didn't get them until those last couple uh, sequences. You know, in the last ten laps. 
Can you hear me now? At yeah, what yeah, point did yeah. you lose me? No, did, you're did good. You? And and I was uh, <laughs> I'm ready. And and the you know the listeners understand travel concerns creates problems for us. So I picked up right where you were you were going with that. So all is good. So that was the most interesting. Uh, and I wondered if my new conversation made the show. Somehow I FaceTimed a friend uh, and I heard her voice and it's a voice that everyone would recognize. Um, but that didn't make it onto the show, did it? No, 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 no. no. Okay. No, no. Well, that was interesting. So I had, I had a brief conversation with a friend I hadn't talked to in a little while. Uh, so I got to learn technology and I'm not sure how that happened because I don't use FaceTime. So yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> well, congratulations. It uh, <laughs> it worked out really well. Hey, one stat I didn't, I mean, I just literally picked up with the sentence you were on, and, and I think I finished your thought unless you had some really uh, special, insightful uh, nugget to throw I, I, out there. I highly doubt it. I, I highly, highly doubt, doubt it. it. <laughs> well, he, here's an interesting one, though, because, you know, we we watched uh, Polo, you know, soldier through that fuel strategy in the last segment, and and. And I think I thought and and probably you did as well that Newgarden was going to, you know, get him on the restart, one of those last two restarts and and at least pick up some points. It wasn't going to be a, a great turnaround for for Joseph, but he was going to pick up some points. I got to thinking this afternoon. And so I dug up the research in head to head Polo versus Newgarden. The only races that Newgarden has finished ahead of Polo are the four races Newgarden won. Mm. Alex has beaten him every other race, which speaks to just consistency. It speaks to why there's such a point differential. And I, I don't mean to pick on Joseph, but he's Alex has pretty well beaten everybody else in the field as well. But but as we look at the head-to-head as this championship and it comes to a head, um, there's a reason why Alex is is so far ahead, and that's because – He's just been so good everywhere. And I wouldn't say it's been feast or famine for New Garden, but he does have only one other podium other than the wins. And he's got, uh, what, a fifth at Mid-Ohio and then th- this fourth this weekend. But those are the only other top fives. And when Below finishes eighth or better in every single race, yeah, reason will say he, he's going to be able to stay in front of them. And then New Garden has, you know, a few that have been in the back. 12th at Mid-Ohio wasn't really a factor during that race. Uh, 10th at Detroit. 15th at Barber. Uh, that was the race we had some some contact early in the car. Really struggled as the tires went away. 9th at Long Beach. 17th at St. Pete. They had a mechanical late in the race. So, you know, that's how those things wear off. You know, if, if I didn't mention it, what I was going to say is uh, – I don't think it was a strategy error for for Polo and the ten team. Did that make the error earlier when we we talked about how they came to to that decision? Well, that's right where you where we dropped okay. you. And I I think the point is that you know that's the way these things have worked out for Alex this season. Yeah, no, you went to to went to mute, but uh, you know that's just kind of the way things have gone. There you go. Yeah, there we go. See, I, I need a hands-free device here. Um, you had to think there was going to be a caution at some point late in in somewhere where you needed it. So I expected everyone to come in, you know, two or three or four laps earlier than what they needed to, just assuming it was going to happen. And ultimately, it did. It did late in the race. You know, the, the first question was whether you stopped on that first one. And 
I don't know what the right answer was. And it turned out that starting on the primaries was the right answer because then you had more options. Then you could go ahead and stay out and go an extra 10 or 15 laps beyond that. And I think what determined the race for Kirkwood is he decided early on, I'm not going to try to to really move forward and I'm not going to try to pass my teammate Grosjean. I'm going to settle in. It's exactly what Pelot did uh, at Mid-Ohio, I think, along with other races, just saved a little bit of fuel by not trying to pass, went a lap later, made up some ground on that last lap, and then had a really good out lap after that. And and then McLaughlin got stuck in traffic. And I remember I noticed that at the time that he run a couple of laps that were a second and a half slower than what he should have been doing. Uh, and that turned out to be the difference. Yeah, it really did. Uh, we we really shouldn't get too far down the road without talking about Kyle Kirkwood. Two wins yep. now in the season. This kind of feels like to me like the Scott McLaughlin year a year ago when you know he breaks into the win column early in the season. Now that was the first race of the season, but in his second full season in this series, finally gets his win, and then you know, then it becomes pretty repetitious. I mean, he gets three last year. He's already got one this year. And don't you think kind of feel that, that Kirkwood might be primed for something similar this year? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just kind of showing what we all, everyone said about him over the last two or three years that he's really special. He's really talented. He's young. So he's still going to make some mistakes, but the pace is there and that's what you really can't teach. (laughs) or it's, it's harder to teach just someone that's just fast and they've had good cars on street races, uh, all the Andretti cars. So that's been a bit of frustration that they haven't converted just a little bit more, but now, you know, they've won two of the street races. So that's not all bad at this point. And it's a long way away and it will depend on what the team is. But sometimes you think about this just because somebody's coming off of a win But I think most people would say, yeah, Kyle Kirkwood is going to be a championship contender next year if Andretti is a championship contender. And they clearly are on street courses. They probably have to step up their game a little bit more on road courses. And I expect they will find some more on ovals. That's kind of been the biggest challenge, you know. And when, you know, it's double points in a place like Iowa where Team Penske has everyone covered, it's going to be difficult for anyone else to win a championship because Ganassi is still pretty good there too. But, but I think that's going to be a conversation in the off season that Kirkwood might be ready to contend for a championship. Yeah. Well, let's get to silly season in the second segment here, but let's, um, you know, you talk about Ganassi and we just don't know what that lineup completely looks like. I think if Polo and, and Ganassi stayed together and if Erickson and Ganassi stayed together, you know, you'd have to think that would be a very, uh, difficult battle with Dixon already there, and the and the Joseph Newgarden effect at and Will Power and Scott McLaughlin for that matter at Team Penske. It'd be very difficult to think of Andretti as a as a title threat. Uh, but you know, in Kirkwood's case, you know, just really the confidence that he continues to show. And I'll I don't want to hang it on 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 someone other than than um, than Kyle Kirkwood. But Brian Herta continues to do some masterful work in the strategy department. I was thinking back to this. You know, Rossi won a race last year. But I think you have to go back to quite a ways <laughs> when you see an Andretti victory that wasn't wasn't uh, led by, mm. by Brian Herta. 
I mean, he, you know, whether it was whether it was Colton, whether it was Kirkwood, you know, even for that matter, 2016 with Rossi. Now there were races in between, but I think since 2019, there there almost been no very few anyway uh, Andretti victories without yeah. Brian Hurt on the box. Well, that that that's because Colton was the only one winning. Um, you're right. Yeah, and then and then he changes, and now Kyle Kirkwood is the only one winning. Well, so, it's, it's, and, and and there's a reason why Colton didn't want to lose Brian off his stand uh, because he knows he's really good at strategy. But I I think part of that is the father son dynamic and kids, especially uh, you know young adults in their early twenties, tend to be more blunt talking to dad than they would be to someone else. And I do think that rhetoric has calmed down. You'll still get the occasional. Um, you know, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing from Colden, which I heard on the radio at Toronto. Uh, but but it's a little different tone than it has been now because he's a respectful young man. And, you know, Brian understood he's not being disrespectful. It's just there's no filter. You're talking to your dad. And maybe there was an uneasiness feel with the rest of the crew that, ooh, this seems tense. And I think they were fine with it. And I, I still wonder if some of it was too that the young driver could use Brian's guidance. You know, Colton is in a place now in his career that he'll be fine with someone else. So let's shake it up and give it a try. Yeah, and I, again, I don't, uh, I don't want to dis- dismiss what what Kirkwood has done. I just think it's important to note uh, that Brian heard a success in a race where strategy was really important. Uh, yep. To- to uh to Kirkwood. I mean Kirkwood said after the race, I mean he had a a difficult time basically explaining what happened in this race in terms of how he got there. You know, he passed a couple guys, you know, the first pit sequence uh gets him a couple positions, but and this happens a lot with drivers. They can't see the whole picture as those of us who are watching and and knowing when everybody else pits and so forth. And you know, let's be honest, I mean Kirkwood for all his experience is only in what his second year of of IndyCar races with all the various strategy and nuances with tires and when do you pit and so forth? You can learn all those things very quickly, but it when you're inside the cockpit trying to do your job on a street circuit where tra- you know trouble looms at every corner, he's not had the attention span to focus on you know what somebody else like Polo or or the other contenders are doing. So he. He pretty much gave it to to her to on the strategy call, and and that's why I think it's important conversation on this particular day that we acknowledge that Brian Herta had a lot to do with this. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. So as we look through the other, you know, top contender Scott McLaughlin is somebody you know you want to get to. Yeah, almost feel bad for for him in this particular case. He has by far the fastest car in qualifying. He's a half a second on the field. In, in that session on Saturday, which almost became Saturday night qualifying. Uh, and then, you know, it just it just doesn't work out. And for the second year in a row, he finished the second. I know he's not he's not disillusioned by any stretch of the imagination. He's still got, you know, a really strong car. And obviously he's figured out how to street race in this series. He's obviously very good and he's got a great championship, you know, season coming ahead of him. It's just a matter of which one. How do you think Scott McLaughlin's looking at uh, at things today? Uh, I, I think he's frustrated because he feels like he had the car to beat. And I saw some of his uh, quotes from the, the press conference afterwards. He was 
he was not happy with the new restart zone and you know, I think he felt it, it took away opportunities for overtaking on restarts. You know, the best passing zone is usually where you often where you see restarts begin. Uh, and that's not the case in, in this scenario. So, you know, everybody's tires are warm. They're cleaned up by the time you get down to turn four because they're not just starting a corner before the start finish line. They're starting three corners before the start finish line. You know, they're starting exit of turn nine. Uh, so you, you've got turn 10, which is not a great passing opportunity. Uh, it can lead to dive bombs. Same thing with 11, one. There's not much of a chance there. Most of the time, in, in case unless someone's really bad, so I think that led to some frustration. That's kind of what caused one of the last red flags. I don't know what the best scenario is or what the best option is. There's been some conversation. It's still going into turn nine, but you just need to let them go a little bit earlier so they have a chance to spread out. Because I, I know they felt like nine invited too many dive bombs. That's what led to so many cautions last year so this is the third year and it's the third different restart zone we've had but you know what uh, i guess they don't have to worry about that anymore because it's a new layout for next season so it could have gone worse for mclaughlin he wanted a straightforward race you know anybody that's fast did you didn't want uh many many cautions shaking it up and allowing someone to go from 14th and 18th back up to the front which happened the first two years but just the circumstances allowed allowed Kirkwood to get cleaner track than him, and that turned out to be the difference. And we also saw, let's stick on Team Penske here for just a moment. We've talked about Newgarden. We've talked about McLaughlin. Just a strange sight before the race to see Will Power scurrying for equipment. You know, he didn't have his earbuds. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just weird. And now, it, to explain it, he had... We talked about qualifying being pushed back on Saturday, so they were off their rhythm to some degree on Saturday. He said he got back to the motorhome. He had the earbuds with him. Uh, he had an appearance to get to. He left him in the motorhome, went and did his appearance, and then was sort of out of sequence to some degree when it came to the race. Now, it doesn't – it still seems odd that, you know, a championship-winning driver – a veteran, the quality of willpower would, you know, maybe get out of his routine a little bit, but still uh, it was an interesting moment. And, you know, he took it pretty well. He, uh, he was good hearted about it. He laughed kind of about it, but man, that, and it, and he said it really did impact him. He had to go hard during the, during kind of the warm up lap to get back in sequence. He nearly lost the lap to start with and just using a little extra fuel in those, in those couple laps at this, you know, ahead of the green flag really was problematic for, he thought it cost him one more lap uh, in that first stint that probably came back to bite him. Now, whether it did or not, that was his initial take on it, but such a strange sight for power to be in that situation. Well, it just takes you out of all of your normal pre-race routine mentally. Uh, and also, I think physically, uh, this is maybe the most strenuous race of the year because of of the heat that you're talking about. And just, just think about the exertion, even though you're not running around or doing anything, but your heart rate is up because you're panicked. <laughs> you're panicked at that point, and then you're hustling to get in. You don't get a chance to get things sorted. So, yeah, it, it's amazing it didn't go even worse at the beginning for power. Uh, and he could laugh about it to some extent because, you know, I think he would say, yeah, it's my fault. That's the driver's responsibility. You got to be in charge of your gear. Uh, the backup wasn't there either. 
Um, so my guess is the driver is always responsible for those kinds of things. Well, let's put that on your list of things to talk about when you start the year next year, speaking to uh, drivers coming up through the ladder system and young drivers. <laughs> and these are the things you need. And you can show that clip uh, because that actually is part of it. Um, you know, and, and I'll credit the, the Lucas Oil School and R.C. Enerson and his dad, Neil, when, when Jackson went there through school, they tell the kids, do not let your parents carry your helmet. You are in charge of your stuff. All right. Let's uh, when we come back, we'll uh, we want to get to silly season. I want to hear about your track walk for a race that is still a year away as we look at uh, Nashville going to the streets uh, and on Broadway. Uh, we'll get to all of that and more trackside 93.5 the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. Welcome back to Trackside. We get a, another good segment here before uh, our weekly, nightly, uh, I guess nightly shows uh, continue. Uh, we'll go every night this week as Brickyard Weekend uh, comes at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and and we welcome NASCAR to the IndyCar program that we know so well. And we'll have a lot of road course racing uh, this weekend. All the action starts Friday, nine o'clock on the IndyCar side, and it's pretty much an open wheel day on Friday, and then Saturday we'll have just a just a flurry of activity. What a great day! Uh, to see race cars at the speedway with uh, Indy cars. And I guess we'll have, we will have had Indy next on Friday, but Xfinity practice and qualifying in a race and cup series with its qualifying session and practice session ahead of Sunday's race, Indy car at two o'clock Eastern on USA network on Saturday and the cup series race uh, that, by the way, the Xfinity race will follow the IndyCar Series race. That'll be on NBC. And then Sunday, we'll see the Cup Series. I think that's at 2.30 airtime, but I could be off. I know that's about green flag time, so maybe, uh, you know, we'll check the listings as we go through the week. But uh, right around there, we'll see uh, the Cup cars on the road course. Uh, maybe for the last time for a couple years, we'll have to see how that plays out. I expect we'll see. Uh, oval racing on the stock car side next year, but uh, to be uh, announced. And then uh, it's just going to be a busy week. So nightly shows at seven o'clock. Let's talk about, cause we'll do this tonight and maybe even tomorrow night as we've got a special guest in studio. Let's talk about your track walk. As you looked at Nashville um, kind of wrap up Nashville as we move into 2024, what does that look like from your perspective? And I think we can move through this quickly because it's I, I'm not Tony. <laughs> You're not Tony Kanan and you haven't, uh, uh, dr you know, done a simulator and you've got <laughs> anyway, lost Kevin for a second, but we'll get back to his thoughts. But, you know, it does. It usually utilizes the bridge just as we know it. And uh, it just kind of be going across the bridge in a different way and coming back to the streets of downtown Nashville, as we look at Broadway and I can't remember the other streets uh, that are actually involved. It's kind of like a little mini oval, if you will, a street course oval uh, kind of, you know, going around 
you know, a, a block of of the downtown area. Uh, so we'll see that in 2024. And that announcement was made over the weekend. By the way, we saw that. And as Kevin is coming back to us, we saw not only that announcement, but also the announcement. And this is a different story that the IMSA sports car series will race at the Speedway as an endurance race next year. So really two big announcements uh, coming over the weekend. And we saw uh, sports cars being a, a six hour uh, next year at the Speedway in September, it'll be the week after the Brickyard or after the IndyCar Series uh, season ends. So it'll be very similar in that respect of timing, but just a different length. But back to uh, NASCAR or back to Nashville, excuse me, as we look at 2024, it'll be different. Uh, the only thing that I saw that was significantly different in addition to racing downtown was where, where the paddock will be. Uh, that paddock will be on the, let's see, that's the south side of the bridge. Uh, so that'll be a kind of a different layout. May not be quite as fan-friendly. We're going to have to see how how that plays in. But uh, certainly a different look and feel. And and I think, you know, from a, from a series standpoint, from a promoter standpoint, I don't see how anybody couldn't have uh, imagined a better uh, reception than the series has gotten in the city of Nashville. It's been a, just a just a home run event, and I think we'll continue to see uh, Nashville on the schedule. It's going to be the season ender. Of course, that was the other big announcement that came uh, over the weekend. It's going to be a season ending event. It's going to be a great place to to end the season. Uh, we had you know we've kicked that around the last couple of weeks. So probably uh, not a lot new there, uh, but just confirmation over the weekend that um, that IndyCars will finish the season with a race that'll be very unique uh, from the standpoint of not only racing uh, in the downtown streets, but ending the season uh, in Nashville. So that, that's uh, certainly one to watch uh, as we get uh Back to what happened actually over the weekend. Uh, when Kevin gets back, we'll we'll dive into some of the silly season things. I thought we might see more resolution, uh, honestly, to what what happens in 2024. I thought we would have a Marcus Erickson announcement. Didn't get that, at least from from a public standpoint. It does sound like that that maybe we can get Alex Pelos news as uh, as early as September one. Uh, I figure there were probably some some deal making going on, some some talks uh, about what's next for for other drivers, guys like uh, Roman Grosjean. Uh, does you know do we get you know we get Felix Rosenquist nailed down? Do we get Callum Eilat? Do we get David Malukas? Uh, I think largely those things are uh, not only on hold, but but uh, you know we just haven't. I don't have any public resolution yet, so Therefore, I don't think we have anyone signed. Yeah I, yeah, I think that's where we're at. I don't think we thought that would be so, and it's possible there's something we don't know about, but I don't think anyone has because they need to know, and the teams need to know what's going to happen at the top end. So. You know, we now know Marcus Erickson told me and, and many others that, yeah, I've, I've got now an offer and, and more a, a more of a serious offer that where there is some money headed my way instead of it all coming 
from me to them and from my backer to them. So he now has something he can consider from Ganassi. It obviously is not anything that would blow him away or he would have just said yes and it would be done. And that probably makes everyone's life a little bit more. Uh, I I think there's a, still a decent chance he returns to Ganassi because we know how good their car is. But I just suspect that Andretti is going to offer him more. And that's going to be difficult to turn down. We had the question on the show last week, and I, I forgot to ask Marcus this. If there is any interest in Formula One, if Andretti does get involved in a couple of years, my guess would have been no, but but he probably shouldn't rule that out if he'd like to at least think about it and judge where the program is at. Because if it happens, we know Colton Herta, assuming he gets a super license, would be one of the drivers and then the other needs to be someone who's been in formula one so it could be someone that's already there or it could be someone that's already done it before um but i'm gonna say 50 50 and and maybe i i still think maybe there's a better chance that he's ready to do something new and see what is available at at andretti but if i favor andretti it's not by much and the ganassi offer may still get a little bit better that's how negotiations work and it's supply and demand, and I think Marcus is in somewhat demand. And then the next one is, okay, I think most people think that Grosjean is probably on his way out. However, if Marcus Erickson does not go to Andretti, I think there's a really good chance they decide we need Grosjean. We need a marketable driver with some international presence in the DHL car. Well, as you can see or hear, we've lost Kevin again. So we'll finish up this segment, I guess, wrapping up the Grosjean conversation. There still seems to be a lot of unknowns with him. You know, does he stay? Does he go? Does, you know, where does Andretti if turn to if it's not Erickson, if it's not Grosjean? Where does it look like? Is it Malukas? Is it Callum Eilat? Still a lot of unanswered questions there. Let's take a look at the box score, which we've not really done aside from uh, the three podium finishers. Newgarden finishing fourth, Scott Dixon fifth. Dixon continues to be strong at Nashville, now finished second, first, and fifth in the three races there. Grosjean, for all the discussion about him, started sixth, finished sixth, so a reasonable run. He's been better at Nashville than you know, sixth place, but still doesn't have a great result to show for it. Marcus Erickson comes home seventh. Again, uh, from a, uh, you know, not a great result, but considering he started 20th, had a poor qualifying effort, doesn't make it through the first round of qualifying. I think, you know, seventh feels like a, a pretty big win in a race that was reasonably straightforward. Pato Award, a lot to forget in this one. Qualifies second, finishes eighth, is never really in the conversation uh, for the lead or or for the win. Christian Lundgaard comes home ninth. Of course, he's had a strong season, the strongest of the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan drivers this season, is clearly in the top ten in points at this point. Uh, Will Power finishes up that difficult uh, day. Uh, given the the strange start to the to the race, he finishes tenth. Castor Neves eleventh. Eilat twelfth. Marcus Armstrong consens- continues to be in that like eight through eleven or twelve range. 
I know he would like to be better. He finishes 13th, Redis VK 14th, Graham Ray Hall 15th. And as I scrolled down through there, we saw the, the late accident involving uh, Rosenquist, Canapino, and Benjamin Peterson. Colton Hurtoff, often, as he has often done in this race, bounces off the wall. A third place qualifying effort, you know, really goes for not. And of course, the trouble that David Malukas had with the rear wing uh, coming apart, or the, the the base of it at least. I'm sure we'll get more news on that as the week continues. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back. Let's wrap up what we missed, what we need to get accomplished. Again, it's Brickyard Week at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Stay tuned. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Truckside. All right, final segment in uh, Apologies, a unique show from multiple locations. So we recorded earlier in the day because I wasn't sure when I would be out of the air, but I'm back from Detroit, back home, and so that's good. And the connection went away a few times, so the two guys sitting near me in the Delta Lounge got to really hear some good insight of uh, some different things. So we'll touch on just a couple of things uh, that I didn't really get to. Kurt talked a bit about the new layout next year that we're going to see in Nashville. You know what I am seeing on that start finish line on fourth avenue it looks like there's some areas where they can put some hospitality some suites uh, maybe a pit lane but that's not the plan the pit lane is going to be across the bridge and that's going to be really unique that is a massive long run too uh, as they go across the bridge leading up to it and so on and someone joked at the press conference that hey maybe tony Cotman will put a chicane in there and then after seeing it um, m- maybe they will i don't know how you do and it's kind of wide through those streets too which you know maybe they're not using Using all that, they're using uh, some of the extra space for the roads for some other space between that and the grandstands and so forth. So, will be fascinating and just a massive amount of bars and rooftops all on Broadway and even some on Fourth Avenue that I'm sure they're already in the process of working out agreements. I don't think they'll go so far as what Formula One is doing and threatening to put up big tarps so people can't see you know the city has been very accommodating here but there's still a lot to unpack but it is going to be cool to have a big event like that yes very random much like talladega deciding your championship so uh best advice next year is you want to be up by 40 points going into the championship uh and not have to to worry on anything like that we'll get into some more of the things with silly season tomorrow night in the show because we are on every night this week couple of things. Uh, Nathan Brown tweeted a little while ago reminding us that there is a press conference scheduled Friday morning in IMS with Meyer Shank, and he mentioned that um, uh, Mike told him back a while ago about this, and and Mike told me around the same time that that we're going to be able to announce one of our drivers, maybe both for next year. My guess is they can't get to both at this point, uh, and still waiting to hear 
status on Simon Pagano if he's going to return this weekend. All right, that's all the time we have. Oh, we had a race today. Uh, Chris Buescher won a second row in Cup at Michigan in the delayed race, and they'll be here coming up this weekend. That's why we're back tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Beyond the Bricks, with Mike Thompson and Jake Query next, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.